Welcome to the CDA's annual conference podcast series. I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy, a dermatologist in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We're here on the floor of the Canadian Dermatology Association's 2019 annual conference in Calgary, Alberta. This is our chance to get a little bit more in depth and chat with some of our keynote and guest speakers presenting at the conference. With me now, we have Dr. Anna Barr. She's a Mohs micrographic surgeon. She also does lasers, fillers, scar revision. She's recently been promoted to Associate Professor of Dermatology and Co-Director of Mohs Micrographic Surgery at Oregon Health and Science University. She's also the Director of the Fellowship Program in Mohs Micrographic Surgery and Dermalogic Oncology. She delivered a keynote speech here at the conference on microneedling with radiofrequency devices. Now she's here. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much, Carrie. It's an honor to be here. It's wonderful to to chat with you, and uh, I've really enjoyed being able to chat with people, especially after I've heard their talks, which you just gave a great talk on microneedling and radio frequency, looking at different indications. Um, When you were going through your dermatology training, what piqued your interest in looking into Mohs and sort of more of these device-based treatments? How, How did you get down that road? Well, when I was undergoing my training, uh, very few of these devices actually existed. But I was fortunate uh, to be in the Palo Alto area doing my fellowship training in 2005 to 2006. And at that time, uh, a new company, Fraxel, was uh, just developing in the Palo Alto area, and they came out with this brand new laser um, that was the kind of a paradigm shift in the way that lasers are delivered. So instead of targeting every single collagen fiber in the skin, the lasers were thought to heal faster and have a better effect when they would do a fractional treatment, meaning that they wouldn't target every single collagen fiber, but you could adjust the density and, and the different parameters on the laser to get a complete non-ablative treatment um, but heal quickly. So that was a paradigm shift, I think, in, in terms of lasers and the way they've been delivered now for the last 15 years after that technology. Um, so being there at that time, I was one of the first users of a Fraxel laser back in 2005. And at that point, we had to put kind of a blue paint on the patient's face. And the way that the roller tip detected if it were was laying down the right number of fractional injuries was by reading the blue dye. So it actually took a lot longer to apply the blue dye and then wash off the blue dye than doing anything you did to the patient. And the blue dye was just a mess. So fortunately, the technology has improved so much, but really being there at the time of the fractional technologies being invented is, is what made me interested in fractional technologies all through my career. And I think after the invention of the non-ablative fractional, they then translated that technology to ablative lasers. So we have fractional ablative lasers that could um, have the benefits of CO2 without some of the risks associated with fully ablative CO2. And now I think it's interesting that that technology has been transferred to radio frequency. To me, it's a theory that uh, makes sense and it's a technology that's relatively new. So I know that there are going to be a lot of improvements in it. But I, I think it's a very exciting time in our field. And I, I would echo that completely. And I think one of the interesting things at this particular conference is we've been talking a lot about technology, integration of technology, how dermatology is really well suited for that. So you've probably seen a lot of really significant changes in, in laser and, and other devices over the past you know decade plus. Um, 
one of the things that I was thinking when you were talking was you were you were talking a little bit about acne scarring, and I think that's one really challenging area. And you did show some um, photos looking at acne scarring. What would be your general approach to different techniques that you utilize for acne scarring, up to and including the the current radio frequency devices? Well, acne scarring, I think, is one of the most challenging things that we face as dermatologists and dermatologic surgeons. Obviously, there's no way to restore the skin to its unscarred state. Um, We can make things better, but it's very hard to predict how much better. Um, It often takes multiple treatments with multiple modalities, and I think the modalities can work synergistically. So the more modalities you have available, the more technology you have in your office, and the more experience you have with different modalities, I think that could really help patients achieve the best results that they can get. But even if you do everything right with every modality and you treat them multiple times, there are still patients where the improvement isn't as significant as what one hopes for. So it's really a a challenging, uh, very emotionally uh, distressing condition for young people. And I think it's important that we continue to advance the field with all of these different options for acne scarring. For sure. I mean, I see a lot of patients in the office. I, I don't have any laser in the office. I, I don't do any of that type of treatment, but I, I, I'm always really there trying to get on the isotretinoin, shut it down, prevent the scarring. But of course, we see so many people, so many young people that have permanent scars and you just think, oh man. Thinking about that, when you see a patient for any condition, not just acne scarring, how do you approach the discussion to manage or or maybe consider what the expectation is of the patient and how where you're you know not not necessarily promising but what you're going to deliver how do you have that type of discussion with the patient well there are a few different things to consider in terms of patient parameters first of all um, you consider the patient age are they young in their 20s 30s or are they older 60s 70s now their acne scarring is showing more because of their underlying facial atrophy so one thing to consider is really how old are they, how much downtime are they going to be able to tolerate, how many treatments can they come in for, are they going to be uh, somebody who doesn't want any downtime but they want to come in and have multiple different no downtime modalities, or are they somebody who'd rather maybe just do one or two treatments with the maximum downtime and hopefully achieve some results just from you know one or two treatments Maybe they can't come back to you very often. Maybe it's a financial constraint. But you really have to work with the patient and their timeline and their parameters. So you can end up giving a treatment plan that's completely different to two similar acne scarring patients just because of their um, life factors. So first of all, when I'm approaching a young person, say somebody in their 20s and 30s, you have to look at how old are the scars? Are these fresh scars? Are these pre-scars? Could you make a lot of improvement by getting on that treatment plan right away? Because I think pre-scars are easier to improve and make a difference rather than long-standing acne scars that have been there for 20, 30 years. Then what's the quality of their acne scarring? Are they red and and just slightly atrophic? Are they deep uh, boxcar, ice pick scars, you're going to approach your treatment modalities differently based on the type of scars that the patient has. Yes. And 
of course, where it's also important is to have their acne under control, where they're not creating more scars, where you're not fighting an uphill battle in everything you do. Mm-hmm. So the other thing, I guess, one of the things I was thinking about with that too would be, are you the type of clinician that would tend to say, you know, you could expect 50% improvement or do you just kind of have more of a frank discussion about the limitations of the modalities that you use? I try not to quote an exact percentage uh, because I feel that it's it can be disappointing for patients if, if they're imagining 50% as one out of every two scars disappears. You know, I think people will imagine it differently if you give them a number. Okay. Um, so what I typically say is, you know, we can't make your skin perfect again, but we can make it better. And this is a lifelong process that we're going to be undergoing. Even if you can only do one treatment a year for the rest of your life, I think that we can make some improvement in your scarring. And, you know, a lot of these lasers, they also help with wrinkles and aging. So while we're treating your acne scarring, you'll also have... Uh, you know, other side cosmetic benefit. side benefits. <laughs> okay. I think they like to hear that and it gives them a, a hopeful feeling. But I, I try to look at it as a process that we are going to be undergoing together. Right. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's that's a great approach. When you're looking at these patients or when you're seeing these patients, do you tend to use clinical photos in your practice? And if so, um, do you have a standard room where you do that? Do you have a f- specific photographer? Do you have... I know some people have things that are already set up with with lighting. How do do you do uh, formal clinical photos? I guess is what I'm asking in a really long way. Well, that's a very important question. That's a great question. Um, we want to improve the quality of our photos. So about a year ago, we hired a professional photographer okay. who's going to take the photos under hopefully the same lighting conditions, uh, the same background. Um, you know, kind of standardizing the photography. But I think it's very hard, uh, especially for just kind of the average person to do. There are so many variables in photography. And um, there's actually a phenomenon known as a photographic cure, where Mm -hmm. if you are photographing acne scarring and you get the light, you know, just right with the side lighting, you really highlight the scarring, but then you take off the side light and you have more of a flash from the front. It really hides the scarring. You can take a before and after a picture of a patient who hasn't had any treatment done. And with the right lighting conditions, it looks like half their scarring has magically disappeared. Yep. Um, I'm very aware of this phenomenon. However, um, in a busy practice, we have 10 different rooms that are all painted the same blue background. Right. However, in every room, the lighting, the lighting is, is still different. a little bit different. So as, as much as I would love to be a professional photographer, I'm not. I have to delegate the task. I hope uh, to have better photos, but it is something that people should be aware of. It really matters. And it's hard to photograph acne scarring. It totally. is very hard. Yeah, And like you said, I think one of those interesting things is that sometimes people will be promoting a magical cream or treatment or what have you, and they don't think about that difference in lighting, the difference in background, the angle of the camera. I tried to do a very simple thing to show some people where I took my own selfie, and then I I moved it up a couple degrees. And even just the difference of that with no other changes, you know, I looked five years younger. And so you had some filler. Yeah, I looked like I had done something, but I had literally (laughs) done nothing. So, you know, I think that's really important and and an important point. Now, 
One of the things that I wanted to talk a little bit more about was at the end of your presentation, you started to uh, review a little bit of the new, some of the newer indications for the Infini uh, device. And I just wondered if, if we could maybe chat a little bit more about the idea behind using them for something, for example, like postpartum striae. I haven't used it on striae. I've used it on scars. Okay. So Similar basically pathology. after Mo's scars. And um, I've used it on um, young individuals who've had cutting scars. Um, right. Yep. I don't know if you're familiar with that, oh, but yes. they usually do their yeah, arms, arms up and down their arms. So I, I've used it somewhat on the scars. Uh, striae, I think um, it makes sense. I'll have to try it. But uh, with fractional non-ablative technology, the theory is if you're injuring um, the damaged collagen and the elastin that's present in the striae, then hopefully you'll stimulate your fibroblast to make um, thicker, better collagen in the area. Right. The other thing that I know you mentioned you are using in your practice is the um, Infini for hyperhidrosis, and you showed a few clinical photos, which was really cool. How long are those permanent results, or how long do you tend to see those results lasting in hyperhidrosis? So, for example, I was thinking about it, you know, you do Botox injections, people will come back six, nine months, they need to touch up. Is this something that's a little bit more long-lasting or permanent? I haven't had the laser in long enough to conclude on whether it's permanent, okay. but I think it's a long-lasting, similar to Botox. Okay. My guess would be that it's not permanent. Okay. But for me, um, it's something that I would consider because in America we have a lot of hurdles getting Botox for hyperhidrosis right. uh, with the insurance companies, so it's become a frustrating thing to treat for us in the U.S., I've actually, um, you know, wanted to give up on treatment of hyperhidrosis many times because the the number of hurdles that we have to jump through um, takes an inordinate amount of time. Right. Um, so I think it could be something useful in the armamentarium. I doubt it's permanent. Okay. But I would need to do more <laughs> so research we'll, into we'll, that. We'll follow up on that at a yeah. later date. So is there anything that you didn't cover in your uh, keynote this morning or that you maybe think to yourself, if I could only tell this large group of dermatologists something or tips, or would there be anything that you'd want to pass on to the group? One of my most important tips that I've learned through the years of purchasing lasers is that you should demo the laser in your office before you buy it. I have never purchased a laser that I did not personally try out on my nurses, myself, I didn't, I've never purchased a laser based on literature that I've been shown okay. or testimonials from others. I've always had to hold that laser Hands in my on. hand, fire that laser on people, and see how they react, see what their pain level is, and see if there's a uh, permanent, durable, reproducible effect of the laser. If I could convey any knowledge um, to the dermatologists attending this meeting, or really anybody I think there's so many lasers out there. It's going to be hard to tell between all the thousands of new models of lasers coming out, what is actually going to work in your hands and what is going to fit into your practice. So knowing your practice demographic, knowing your capabilities, uh, what kind of practice, do you have medical assistants that can run a laser for an hour or do you have three rooms where you can't have a room tied up for an hour long laser procedure? You know, you have to research these things very thoroughly 
And I would say, try the laser. You will learn so much uh, just from demoing it on yourself and your staff. I think that's a great tip. I, I mean, you wouldn't generally purchase a car without test driving it and, and, right. and driving different options. So I think that's a really great tip. And I wanted to thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode. Um, and we look forward to hearing some updates on the Infini uh, in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Dr. Anna Barr is an Associate Professor of Dermatology and the Co-Director of the Mohs Micrographic Surgery at Oregon Health and Science University. She's here at the Canadian Dermatology Annual Conference presenting on microneedling with radiofrequency devices. That's it for this episode. Make sure you hit subscribe so you're notified when new episodes are released. From the floor of the 2019 CDA Annual Conference in Calgary, I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. Thanks so much for listening.